Hello, Andrew McLennan with you in the listening room. And tonight, we're pleased to present the premiere of Inland by Gretchen Miller. Inland is the result of Gretchen Miller's ABC, Australia Council New Media Arts residency with the listening room during 1999. This residency creates an opportunity for an artist each year to produce a major work for radio within the environment of the ABC's Acoustic Arts Unit. And Gretchen Miller took up the fifth of these residencies earlier this year. Gretchen has a passion for and a deep connection with Inland Australia and she's developed several radiophonic works evoking elemental and interior landscapes. For Inland, she made several recording trips, travelling to Lightning Ridge, through the tunnels of the Snowy Mountain Hydroelectric Scheme, and flying in a glider at Camden, she recorded sounds not widely heard. She also journeyed back in memory, revisiting recordings from previous trips to the Gulf of Carpentaria, the Birdsville Track, and the Kunji Lakes in Corner Country. And throughout all this, forming impressions which would filter into inland. At work at the ABC, Gretchen cut a path between audio listening suites and word processors. She disappeared each day into music practice rooms in the bowels of the building here at Ultimo, and through a process of writing music and words and working with recorded sounds, there emerged a narrative. Along the way, she continued to collect stories from people involved in the issues she was exploring and who are part of the histories of these places, juxtaposing the documentary with the dreamed. The result, Inland, is an acoustic story cycle, a set of four sonic tales taken from sources west of the Divide. As you'll hear, the piece is a poetic narrative, a dream of place in four sections. Immersion tells the story of a stowaway convict who dreams of piping water through a mountain range. Flight tells of a woman whose fantasies of flight are also dreams of death. Stone is about an alcoholic cripple, an opal miner who finds unexpected love underground. And Heat, a bombsite, whose beauty can be found in the naming of each of its artefacts. And this last section contains a tragic reference to the Mill Putty family caught wandering on the site at Maralinga just after the bomb went off. Inland by Gretchen Miller yourself transported to another place, a boat with a man named Robert Ward, who is dreaming of a pipeline through a mountain and twenty, no thirty, one hundred men and more 
dead and naked, clutching at the ground. I have oceans of water in my ears. Atoms swirl inside my eardrums. I am dizzy. My hands are rooted to the ground, but my head is floating. The sky spinning. I've lost my sense of balance. The hammer beats wildly. The cochlea curls and uncurls, and I am helpless. Drawn along by the current, sucked through tunnels deep underground. of the house you find a thing, a narrow cylindrical length of copper, not thicker than a wrist. And when you put it to your ear, you hear the windiest day in the high country. The lyrebirds are kaleidoscopes, mirror birds stealing your voice. Through their cries, I can look out and see lavender hills, immersed in colour. The pleasure of that sense, limbs and hair awry. Dusky blues, flashes of silver surface. The water is rough, and I am fearless. you see in the corner of an empty room. Feel the shells slip and sound. A creak. A poem. One water splash. In the house, a piece of sodden, blackened wood. It is water on soaking wood. Wood soaked with salt. Dark, wet wood in splinters. Angular, shin-barking dark. Sodden fabric scraping skin. Stillness. It is a boat's curve not fitting spine. It is creaking bones. Wet hair. Wood. Salt. Rust. Water slipping past, a boat lunging forward, leaving.
Take a walk through the corridors of the house and smell the drifts of salt gathering over the lintels, the moisture in the air. Six months chained on the rusting hulk. 180 days and no relief from the smell of blood and iron. Fetid water, ankle deep, stinking and still, turns the feet to something white and coiled and soft. 180 days for the water to make its way through my veins and teach me how to swim. The house feels like it's rocking. The man, whose name is Robert Ward, has made it from the timbers of a small boat. A stolen boat, in which he escaped a particular death of the soul on a penal island far offshore. Floating. Sleeping. Hallucinating different kinds of water from inland China. Utopia on the dry Colombian plains. The house has curved walls and is far from the sea. A kiss and nothing more will do it. A kiss and water will flow backward. A kiss and water will turn back on parent ocean. Turn away for a kiss. Water will pass through stone. A kiss. And a hundred thousand men. And water will flow through mountains. To the whispering grasslands. And be lost. The house floats over grasses. Cattle swim by. Brumby manes flash on the surface. Their hooves create a current. Stir it around. flicker of water's light, a glimpse of something, a thread from the sun, and a thousand mechanical things clatter in its force. I'll be transparent when I grow old, and flow like water through stone.
The wooden-sided house, built from the sweet, curved hull of a boat, holds the man who is sleeping, rocked by water. Breathe in. Let gravity take your breath out. Breathe in. Your tired muscles shaking at this little effort. Your chest unwillingly filling like a sail. Think of drawing air as you would into your arms embrace. The corners of your mouth lifting slightly as you take her in. Cradle her. Now relax. And let the air fall from you. But you can't stop. You must force your chest to rise again. Muscles pulling stiff bones apart. Air rushing in. Just so. Now, stop. No dramatic final gestures. No last gulp of air like a drowning woman. Just a single breath out. And then, no more. How long can you last without sound? <laughs> it's called I painted a picture. I painted a picture as, as a, a teenager, teenager, which had long, long been, been hovering, hovering in my, in my mind's eye. eye. There was a woman floating, her arms and legs outstretched, hair and skirt streaming backwards. Well, I used flying, to ride a lot, and floating. I used to ride a lot alone over the hills and mountains and the country she around the She was flying fast over there the land. There seems something rather marvellous about riding to the top of the hill and looking out over the landscape. And uh, on a very good day, sometimes a stray aeroplane would would come a little bit inland and I would see it in the sky and there's always a magnetic attraction to me of an aeroplane in the sky. It was as though there was a straight line between me and that aeroplane. And I just knew that's Swift what I wanted desert to do. The sands were lit up golden by moonlight. The sky, that particular blue between day and night. And there were faint prickles of stars. It wasn't any good. The plants, as I imagined them, were brown and red squiggles placed uncertainly on the paper. 
but that was the beginning of my flying dreams. Hostess must weigh less than 53.5 kilograms. They must not chew gum or sleep on duty. Their reading during flights must be restricted to the book of regulations. And while it is not essential for them to be teetotalers, alcohol in any form is banned the day before the flight. <laughs> I'm trying to vibrate fast enough to make motion invisible. Laughter is always at the wrong moments in conversations. <laughs> Millicent Maud got her A-class pilot's licence in 1927. She said, One is not hampered by roads when one is flying, or policemen, or anyone saying stop. She drowned in the Greycliff ferry accident later that year. Anima, soul, breath, wind. I am thinking of a bird with bones so large the spaces inside have currents of their own. Whirling and whirling until the creature falls from the sky. Ancient bird bones scattered across a thousand miles of desert floor, half buried under pale orange sand. She leaves a trail of scent, something like a horse's skin, leather and sweetness. Think about the troposphere, seven miles up, a turbulent mess of winds and storms and water vapour and clouds. When I hold the air in my breath, my body seems to float ever so slightly upwards. Look up to the stratosphere, 30 miles above, stiller than the stillest day, 
with ice crystals that form, then shatter. When I release it, I plummet to meet the birds, which strain to remain under the atmosphere's surface. In the mesosphere, it is minus 110 degrees centigrade and 50 miles of silence. I sometimes think my own bones will crack. I sometimes think my own bones will crack and the air seep out. And above it, in the thermosphere, the molecules move so fast that the temperature would be 3,000 degrees if the air's density were only the same as it is on the surface. Catching secret waves of energy from trees, water, and small country towns. Here is the Aurora Australis. Here the molecules never collide. Here are particles charged by the sun. In 1939, Mrs. Loris Bonney's plane, My Little Ship, was destroyed by fire in the hangar. By then, she'd made several record flights to other lands, none of which were recognised. There's a, there's a dead horse a thousand feet below. Scent making mares tails through the sky. Of putrid vapors that drift across the sands. With putrid vapors that drift across the sand. Nancy Lyle got her license in 1929. A hair clip. She bought a hornet moth and dropped flower bombs on Melbourne. Delicate curve. To prove how badly the city was defended. With steel teeth. Damper could easily be made with and a little flower, water from the clouds and, and the heat of friction as it fell through the air. Like bomb twisted metal. Gertrude Mackenzie had a red moth miner she called Momba. My own bloody aircraft. <laughs>
This is a bubble with no sound. I am breathing like a fish floating through the sky. There are invisible currents. Nothing here is as it seems. She turns her craft around, looks the Earth's curve in the eye, dips the nose towards the horizon, holds it for one breath, straightens and flies towards the sun. She presses down hard on the joystick, lurches earthwards, feels her stomach flip, sees the world like the head of a pin, wrenches the joystick up. She stops shaking. She touches it once more caresses the leather and forces it downwards with gravity against her instinct. She feels the wings start to vibrate. She takes the howl of distressed fiberglass into her body. The moisture forced from her eyes, the air from her chest, muscles from bone. She's flying straight at the ground. When I was very young, we had a house, Dad built a house on Bilby Hill. We used to go to the Applefields, bring a rough over back. He learned about Opal. So on school holidays, I used to at his help him. Knee. I used to make up 140-ounce boxes, weigh it up, and wrap it all up, and we used to send it to Ceylon, India, at seven pence an ounce. So I sort of learned from those early days. Learned from my father's knee, which he's been learning after school in the Air Force. And I came back from the Air Force with a scatterbrain. Dad got a bit angry with me and he said, Son, go overseas and learn to stand your own two feet. I'll give you some mobile, you go to America, sell over for me in America. Okay, Dad. I said, Well, what do I do? You find out. Will I get a passport? You find out. Oh, I found out how to get a passport, and there was no shipping in those days. And then 1946, the war just finished. Eventually, I got on a war bride ship, the Marine Falcon.
fish scale, black. pass through hands. Savage-eyed cripple drags himself along the earth on his elbows. Red. Red. Flames. There are opals in his orange. eyes. Orange. Green gold. Green gold. Firestone. Firestone. Pinpoint. The Black Prince, also known as Harlequin Prince, uh, 1915, the stone was mined on the phone line at Lightning Ridge by Snowy Brown Tom Irwin. It was bought by Ernie Sherman as part of a set of three, including the Pride of Australia and the Empress. Sold in England and disappeared for several years. Reappeared in 1946 when it was bought by the director of the New York Museum of Natural History, Dr. Frederick Poe, from an American GI who had hoped to make his fortune selling it to the DuPonts, a famous herbal collecting family. A 2,000 pound the set, 1,500 US dollars for the stone. Bodies stiff with alcohol. Every cell the texture of a sea creature which moves by means of elaborate tensions and release. But still, through a trick of fate, is imprisoned by rock. He is dirty with the debris of fractured rib cages, others cracked bones. He is a fighter. Shin cracker. Potch. You can leave. Opal dirt. But you will come back. Common opal. Mugstones, 
a windfall. Air turned to glassy rock. Pelican blood. Flaming coals from the Gidji tree. Sunk through earth strata to settle in seams and nobbies. They don't own the stones. The stones own them. The Pride of Australia, 1915. A double-sided gem in its natural shape had two distinct and different colour and pattern bars. A blaze of red, orange, peacock green. Sold by Ernie Sherman to Percy Marks, his son Rolf Marks, sold it to Dr Hubert Eaton, the president of Forest Lawn Cemetery in Los Angeles in the early 1950s. Stolen from there some years later and not seen since. 1,400 pounds, 6,000 pounds, 10,000 pounds and 50,000 dollars stolen. Thousands of pounds passed through his hands. But his brow is sweating and his pockets are full of worthless pebbles. Overnight. Ratters slide down mine shafts. A line of shimmering silk disappears. Overnight. Or a stone can gleam with a thousand refractions and by morning shatter to worthlessness. But, says his mate Tom, you know, your luck's changed. And tomorrow, he finds another thread the seamstress has left lying. A fault which leads, as a matter of course, to a sweet flirtation in the dirt. A frowning girl with a resentful eye, taking his fancy and driving him mad with a disease cured only by alcohol. of the Pandora, but, but my dad didn't have an opportunity to buy it because he was not lightning rich at the time. That, um, he saw it afterwards, of course. I think it was Prosper Rawson, I think, a Canadian guy. He tried to buy it one time. He was known as a man with a harp. He travelled the world with a harp. He, he loved opals. He had opals inlaid all around his harp. And he had a, in England, he had this exhibition. Uh, an oval cave. In the back of the cave, he sat there and played the harp. Prosper Rawson, the man with the harp. Whether he bought it, I can't remember what the story was. And, um, but it's, it's just disappeared. We lost track of it some time ago.
Even so, the cripple is blessed by memory, and on good days, with foresight. And he remembers. Lying in the stinking dirt, eyes aching, opal black, deep in the crevices of his face, lips reddened from thirst. Despite one last week on the piss. Floaters. Angel stone. Toe dirt. Dog stone. He remembers loss. He remembers feeling the loss of his senses, climbing from his feet to his swollen knees and settling in the cavern of his vast and angry chest, weighing there heavily. He remembers crazy paving the street with the marks his dragging boots left in the dust. He remembers, he remembers a chicken bone. Thrown by a friend, the longing for deep, dark, hand-hewn tunnels, and the nurse whose eyes said, not only will you never walk again, but you'll die sure enough before this summer's through. His anger gives rise to all sorts of things. Down below, in a million years of timelessness, a submarine dancer has grown butterfly wings. Twenty foot of vertebrae from tail to head arched around a sea of warm, shallow rock. A neck that curves in supplication. An erotic predator, heavily fleshed. So the cripple drags himself to the midst of the Narran lakes. The opals Stars and have led him to the cure. Points of fire massed on swelling, senseless flesh. Prehistoric insects suck the life back into his veins. It's, it's not uncommon to find opalized shells and opalized bone. It's really strange how it happened. Some say the carpet changed to herbal, other people say the shell just sort of disintegrated, left a cavity, and the liquid herbal filled up the cavity, which is right, we don't really know. Then, says Tom, he's down there again for one last find. He's speaking of dying, not here, but up there, outside, somewhere north. But one drink sodden sleep Memory quietly tells him of the butterfly creature, now made stone. Plesiosaurus. Her 
her underwater flights curtailed by falling words. He will find her the day after tomorrow. And so he does. The Pandora, 1928. Mine on board hill by Jock McNichol, it sprang from a tossed coin and a reckless dig and was 700 carats worth of a fossilised blaze bone of a plesiosaurus. Black with a line of bright red, a peacock tail at one end. An opal dealer offered McNichol 10 100-pound notes and new Chevrolet for the Pandora. But McNichol said the offer was an insult to a man's intelligence. 800 pounds, 1,750 pounds, 2,000 pounds, 1,500 pounds disappeared. The cripple sets her free to stretch her neck again, to reach up for a second, to nibble a coiled ammonite which had frozen beside her. Then, man, plesiosaurus, ammonite, all grow wings and glow with refracted light. But she can't bear the weight of air after rock. And in the space of a second, she falls and falls. And he hasn't the will to fly. Or to think of heading north. Exponentially. exponentially. The buyers with slippery tongues, slippery tongues talked, the freakish, talked opal up. the freakish opal up, but, but talked, talked her down, down again. again. Agate. Agate. Beige. Beige. Wax. Magpie pot. Resin. Grey. Dirty white. Resin. Silica. Dirty white. Slurry. Silica. Harlequin. Harlequin. Topaz. Topaz. Sand Hyacinth. spotted, pinfire, flower, milky, fish flower, scale, fish scale, black, black. I used to walk down from a place called Ildur and from Frigon. I used to walk down to Uldia and from Mimili. I used to walk from there in old days when they were pretty fit to walk. From the northwest to Uldia. From Uldia to the northwest. Uldia to Tarkula, Anna Creek, Mari. From Yalata to Kubapedi, Yalata to Kundali. Uldia to Watson, 
Kubapedi to Lake Philipson. Panthan to Yetkin's Wells. From Yalata to Kubapedi, Granite Downs, Mabel Creek. From Granite Downs, Mabel Creek, Kubapedi to Yalata. Making tracks. Making tracks. Making tracks. You must wait two minutes. Wait five minutes. Wait 24,000 years. Before you kick up the dust, ride in the tray of a ute. Wait. Udia to Tarkula. Anna Creek. If you fling particles into the air, if you are a child playing, if your tiny lungs breathe so fast you pick up more dose per unit intake than a grown man, if you put your thin and dusty foot within a hundred kilometers of the Taranaki, put your hand into a basket of fine particles and scatter them to the left, to the right, Kamburara, wearing wearing, towel towel, they're in that same family. Jan parka parka, ngancha, wanguno, wakati, kaldo kaldo, kona kanti. Bush raisins, mulga, mistletoe, woolly butt, seeds for damper. From Yalata to Kubapedi, Yalata to Kundali. If you drop a pinch of sand onto a drum, if a feather plume, a trace of the sun, floats your way, if wild horses should toss the earth with sharp little hooves, Kaldo kaldo, kona gandi, poya, wangono, yuldogon, kalingalingba, kupada. North, northwest, northeast.
If a flash of light should consume the fin bone of an ancient creature, a woman's twisted hair clip, the hull of an abandoned boat. Aldea to Watson. A road, a patch of clarity, a clearing. Carlaya, Carlaya. Emu. Teenage Ponti, Mulga. It's a very popular one. <laughs> it's Mulga grows anyway. But it's very good wood for fire and for cooking. It's good, good wood for cooking. And they treat the fire. One fire for warm, you know, make yourself warm and like that. And then there's an, another fire they, you know, use for cooking, uh, cook food. But they like, I suppose, they have a kitchen and a living area, I suppose, something like that. And they have a windbreak, you know, you can use branches from the mulga to stop the wind and sleep with a little fire going go camping and uh, in the old days they the cold day at night they love three fires going and fire like that on the side windbreak here the fire there and the fire near your feet sleep that way Pick up a souvenir, a piece of wire, a rusty steel plate, a scrap of lead, of yellowed plastic, a piece of metal that floats in your hand. Porti, porti, caro caro, mil barley, in a apple, porti, in a caro caro, pilla, mil barley, pilla, caro caro, pudding, nindagas. Jolbun Jolbun, Minchinka, Dawal Dawal, Wiring Wiring, Thickly Timbered Land, Kampurara, Watercourse, Yangunjara, Sand Goan, Madujara, Spinifex Country, Milbali, Milbali, Kalaya, you know, Kalaya, Milbali, and Nindaga, Waru, Waru, Wapar, or Jokor, Wapar. Warwin. Stars seen through the bones Warwin. of your hands. Yeah, in that. Flesh gone. Yeah. Stars shining through. A ceremony. An explosion. A manipulation. A lie across cultures. Mm. 
Kugupiti to Lake Philipson, Panthan to Atkins Wells. From Yalata to Kugupiti, Granite Downs, Maple Creek. A theodolite. spins unevenly, the poles turning slowly, the equator hurtling round. This star sounds. Five minute sound waves, the fundamental tone of the sun. Granite Downs, Mabel Creek, Kubapedi to Yalata. From the northwest to Uldia, from Uldia to the northwest. Kurgunjung, it's uh, like a honey, you can see it, you know, you can see it towards sun, you know, when sun afternoon, you can see you know, shining on the branches of Mulgan, and uh, you can see this honey thing running down. And, and uh, we had that uh, last two weeks, it was plenty, you know, the birds loved that, and we were there too. Walking into the sun, a woman, a man, Two children, two dogs, Inland by Gretchen Miller. And that was created during her ABC, Australia Council New Media Arts Residency, with The Listening Room, during 1999. Documentary voices, Aboriginal elder and Maralinga witness, Yami Lester, glider pilot, Nancy Bird, opal dealer, Greg Sherman, and aviatrix, Sally McCosker. The readers were Virginia Baxter, Gretchen Miller, Sherry Delise, and Eve Stenning. And the musicians were Daryl Pratt, percussion, Peter Jenkin, bass clarinet, Dave Ellis, double bass, Gretchen Miller, voice. The sound engineer for the piece was Russell Stapleton. Inland was written, composed and produced by Gretchen Miller. And special thanks to executive producer Robin Raflich, to Jane Ullman, Sherry Delise and Russell Stapleton for their help in the realisation of Inland. If you're in Sydney, you can hear a series of live performances of Inland at The Studio, Sydney Opera House, in June next year. Check the press for details. A final short piece tonight is Trace Elements, 
part three by Rick Rue. As a sound artist and composer, Rue works with many performing artists, including his own group, Machine for Making Sense, and he performs his solo work regularly in Australia and Europe. Like Gretchen, Rick has a passion for travelling across Australia to record the sounds of natural environments, and alongside his well-known hyper-rash collision collages of electronic mass media, he has also developed a body of acoustic soundscapes. With a composer's ear for selecting sounds rich in musical and textural complexity, and his very individual way of composing with these sounds, Rick brings to his acoustic soundscapes an intimate quality. Sounds are familiar yet somehow personal. For the listening room, Rick Rue has constructed a series of audio sketchbooks of recent travels. standing closer to this one. I think it's going to hit you again. hearing anything? 